0: Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is
1: DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Ray here.
0: Tysha Tyler. Troy
1: Call Quest. Fred Armisen.
0: Fritz Paul.
1: Javier Munoz, Seth Mike.
2: Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Hyam. And you're listening to the Talk House Podcast.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Talk House Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. This week's episode, while not particularly hilarious, I think sets a new Talkhouse record for the sheer amount of laughter. You'll see why when you listen. It's the members of Bad Bad Not Good in conversation with La Raji. Now, Bad Bad Not Good is a Canadian band that straddles the line between jazz and instrumental hip-hop, but has really gone well beyond those two things in the last decade, incorporating electronic elements, Brazilian sounds, and much more. They've collaborated with everyone from Kendrick Lamar, who sought them out after seeing them at Coachella to Tyler the Creator, to Ghostface Killah, to Future Island's Samuel Herring. The list goes on and on. Bad Bad Not Good returned last year after a five-year album gap with a collection called Talk Memory. On it, they proved more collaborative than ever, bringing in a bunch of incredible musicians to expand their sound. One of the musicians they called on was the legendary yet under-the-radar Laraji, who's had a remarkable career over the past 40 years or so. After a winding road that included acting and stand-up comedy, Laraji was eventually discovered while busking in Washington Square Park by none other than Brian Eno, who produced and released Laraji's Day of Radiance album as part of his Ambient series. Since then, he's released dozens more recordings. Laraji's main instrument is an electrified zither, which, as you'll hear in this conversation, came to him in kind of a magical way. Once you hear him talk, though, that won't surprise you. He's obviously open to whatever experiences the world wants to bring him. On record, that most recently includes a collaboration with the improvisational ensemble Noose and his old friend Arji Oshiananda called Circle of Celebration. That project also includes friend of talkhouse Thor Harris, funnily enough. Here's a little bit of the track Ascending. In this conversation, you'll hear Laraji laughing a lot because in addition to his music, he leads laughter workshops, which are exactly what you might think they are. You'll also hear about Laraji's past, about the brain that exists inside your abdomen, creative trances, and why the color orange has played a big part in his life. Enjoy.
3: Hello, everyone. How's
2: everybody doing today?
1: <laughs> oh, uh, eternal.
2: Amazing. It's great. I think the last time we spoke was probably middle of 2020 at some point, also via Zoom. <laughs> yes,
1: yeah, so that was an isness, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> How is life treating you at the current time?
1: In perfect karmic response. What I'm putting into it, I'm getting back, I'm circulating. I'm getting a lot of rest and also getting a lot of alone time, quiet time. And that, that's inwardly mobile for me to uh, spend relaxed amount of time still and inward sp- introspection. Mm.
3: Absolutely, yeah. Right on. Is that involve uh, a practice with composing new music, or is that purely just kind of in a still and quiet space for you?
1: It's all in one, like a holistic life introspection, and then roll right into the uh, recording situation and free associate So there's things or places I can get to more deeply when I translate them into sound. Translate them Mm. to the sound verse. Amazing. Yes, it is. (laughs) 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 Super amazing that we're here rolling through unknown space together. Yes. And trusting.
3: I'm curious to ask if kind of through the introspection and kind of experience, you know, the meditation and all the things that you're doing in your daily kind of experiences from your you know years and years of doing this are you still energized and kind of inspired by all the new adventures each day as they come and if there's been any current ones that pop out and has spoken to you
1: yeah one big thing was uh, discovering that the place downstairs serves impossible burger
2: <laughs> oh, amazing. Are you vegan?
1: <laughs> yes. Well, leaning toward vegan, but uh, that's a big event downstairs, and I decided to support them. And says, "I'll buy your, veggie. I'll buy your Impossible Burger on a potato bun." Yum. And then uh, the laughter work is always an opportunity for the breath work. It's actually breath work laughter. It's just using some acting technique to bring your whole body your whole breath and your whole emotional body into a a very open space through laughter. And so when I get a chance to do those, I'm conducting one later on today on Zoom. And it's a new experience to be in a circle where the participants are in their own separate pod spaces. And that's Mm -hmm. unique, too, because it's giving them the chance to lie down or really get relaxed to get into the laughter and the privacy of their own home. Mm. I assume. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) How do you uh, conduct a workshop like that? I assume there's not too much explaining you have to do. You simply kind of guide them into this laughter, or?
1: Yeah, it's very experiential. I might set up something like we've got going to go through six different uh, laughter intentions that they're to radiate our physical bodies. So I'll guide them to laughing into the head, the throat, the heart, the abdominal, and the lungs to. use laughter to radiate our body and the cells and the molecules. By sending breath through laughter, a luminous language, we are actually etherically vibrating a cellular body, a molecular body, or a hormonal body, with a very uh, now intention, energy intention. So laughter, like, I find if you get together and just laugh heartily before a performance backstage, I find it a very interesting energy comes out even through an ensemble. Mm. (laughs) That and screaming. (laughs) Screaming is good to do backstage. That's very powerful. (laughs) Good scream backstage before going out, and uh, something like you bonded by the scream, so you go out as a unit. (laughs) <laughs> if the audience hasn't left,
2: I would love to be at a like a classical
3: performance and just to hear the whole orchestra screaming together backstage before they walk. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, you better believe you're going to hear some good classical music.
3: Oh, absolutely! That's really interesting. You're mentioning kind of laughing through all different kind of aspects of like the body. I've never thought about laughing through the heart, but I'm sure I've experienced it. Is there a laughing kind of center that you think we laugh more naturally in and kind of approaching some of the other spaces a bit more of a practice and kind of experience to
1: grow with? Laughing the heart, actually we use creative intention when we get to the heart area. I invite the participants to be in their water body first to get... Do the whole before the workshop really begins. So, you get to play with your water body. So, you get into fluidity. And uh, then we're going to play with laughter. So we're going to focus on the heart area by just sending our voice a tone into our heart area. And you can place one of your hands over your heart and feel this tone vibrating your heart area while you're in your water body. And when I say send a tone to your heart, send a tone. That reflects the way you like your heart being treated, the way you would want your heart being treated in general. We hang out with that space a while. That's how we sort of cultivate a laughter that respects a heart space. It's this kind of laughter too that we can go into an ancestral honor our ancestors through putting a little after heart laughter edge on our prayers and our invocations learning how to will our laughter so we can use it as a resource in our life more abundantly because laughter isn't just about laughing at a joke it's a language and it's a language that if we don't speak it enough something gets left out of our experience
3: I, I have a a uh, five-month-old baby at home here. And as she's growing and developing, laughter is, becomes a very, you know, available experience. And the laugh language is, is totally, totally real. And it's so cool when the contagiousness and the way it kind of brings out emotion and fun and calm and so many beautiful things. As you, she laughs, makes you laugh or you make her laugh or you laugh together. It's, yeah, it's amazing. I haven't laughed so much in my life
2: there it comes there's always been a close relationship between music and humor or laughter all of the above for us even though i can't say we've ever tried to intentionally do a a laughter meditation before a show but i i think we should
1: (laughs) yes well you mentioned that as my experience of being in close to or around or along on the road with ensembles that That's a wonderful breeding ground for humor mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, but yeah, a laughter meditation would be uh, focusing intentionally to include the the energy of laughter Let's say, to include your resource in your the energy of your resource in your performance, even if it has to be s- subdued and subtle I go through the head. There's a laughter release that goes through the head, and it's... <laughs> so it's playing with the tone of our voice into the head and moving sound around, and as we get to a place of vibrating the brain, the pituitary, the pineal gland... <laughs> And if you get really focused on it, you can get into your brain, like a tonal relationship with your brain. You're actually making out with your brain. Mm. (laughs) This is new territory. (laughs) 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 Suddenly your brain wakes up. Hey, I love me. Yeah. Yes. And, of course, we might want to be mindful that our laughter does carry the lightness and the openness, and that it is an intentional laughter. So what I mean by that is that to just to jump into laughter is a good way to get into it, and then let our intention kind of hone it to vibrate the head. So our laughter is not just outwardly, but we're harnessing the physical force, the etheric force, the emotional force of our laughter. And laughter reveals that the breath is clear. The breath is open. The breath is available. Mm. And so this translates into a performance, if you're going to do improvisational performance, with that extra sense of permission. (laughs) You can practice this and get it on your own, I believe, through improvisation. If you practice improvisation with your breath and tone and moving around inside the body, I would believe everyone here knows how to learn uh, learn a new instrument and how to practice and create exercises for a new instrument. So without laughter, the idea of laughing in the water body and moving the sound within the physical body... Mm. Then you get to the heart, it's gentle. In the head, in the abdominal, the stomach area. And you get the inner picture here, your laughter is becoming mm. inwardly mobile. And what beautiful thing could not happen through the body? gets lighter we are bringing a luminous language into our body expression so our body's radiating a luminous language and we're speaking a language that allows us to bring forth a resource and so your now work is your new work, is your inner work you can practice this in the bathroom, you can practice this on an airplane quietly you can practice this in a car <laughs> You can practice this while boogieing on the dance floor, walking down the street, strolling through Central Park. These little luminous, lumifying exercises. So, BBNG.
2: Mm. Yeah, thank you for that. It's extremely musical, too. Is this sort of thing, like, different types of meditation and, I guess, trying to be centered in general, as well as musical improvisation, is that's all, like, many sides of the same thing for you?
1: Exactly, Yes. Connecting with the center, the improvisations radiate a sense of order, centric order, and the practice of centering actually can choreograph the improvisation. Given that you've prepared your medium, you know, whether it's an open-tuned zither or a well-tuned horn, or you've a selected set of drums you're going to do percussion with or your stringed instrument, but selecting the medium through which you're going to release this centered energy. What happens is a musical event, a hearing event for yourself, those who present, that provides a point of least resistance into centering. Centering, so the music becomes like a therapeutic facilitator of the listeners having a centering experience. If I come from my center, and how I come from my center, one, physically, I think of Just below the belly button, have you heard of the hara? No. No. Dantian? Well, supposedly, let's say somewhere in your abdomen, you have an abdominal brain. Surprise. Yeah. (laughs) Have you heard that (laughs) phrase, dropping into your center? It means literally letting this witness area that we usually focus out of, magically appeared down just below our belly button. Now, this could be called a good, hearty acting exercise, or for a child, it's imagination exercise. When you get down here, it's no longer down here. It's where you are, and the head, everything is above you. So if you can practice being here, and the practice is be up on your feet and initiating body movements from down here, your body has an alternative place to go to, to retreat to when it's looking for a center all of a sudden or a balance and hopefully some of us choose to ground ourselves here as our daily life practice so that we come from our Hara and uh, the practice of doing this for 21 minutes a day at least is a way of starting to bring a new depth of centeredness in our physical mental, emotional behavior which translates through our instrument as an extension of that centered place. So you see that music in the hands of an artist today can speak a new depth of connection, its centeredness through sound.
2: For the audience that may not know, we had the pleasure of having Laraji play on one of our songs recently. And personally, I feel like it brought our music to a whole new level to have you on it. So just, you know, want to thank you for that since I don't think we've spoken since. Mm,
1: it is a blissfully loaded opportunity. So I'm really enjoying collaborating inside this language. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Have you been doing much of that
1: recently? At home, mm-hmm. yes. Mm. Also, yes, a lot of we transfers have transferred <laughs> around the globe as we spin through unknown space together. <laughs> what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine. <laughs> How much of what we own is really meaningful when we're on this globe spinning through <laughs> unknown space <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, and what we trust, we will somehow learn to trust that this Gaia, Gaia is in an, a divine intention. there is we trust that's love is the foundation of the whole creation. yeah.
0: Hey, this is Josh Modell, host of the TalkHouse podcast. We love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process, and often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist, which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business. Well, this episode of TalkHouse is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. For the past decade plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. More than a million artists use DistroKid, and the latest version of their app is better than ever. It includes features that make it easy to see your account details, including the money you've earned, as well as to seamlessly edit things like lyrics and metadata across platforms. There's even a feature called Instant Share, which allows you to easily share files with your bandmates, booking agent, playlist curators, and more. DistroLock allows you to protect your songs. DistroKid users get a YouTube official artist channel too. The list goes on. The DistroKid app is available on iOS and Android. Go check it out today. Seattle in the 90s, a tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's Teen Dance Ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.
3: When we were talking about improvising and and laughing, I had a thought. I was watching an old Elvin Jones interview, the amazing jazz drummer who played a lot with John Coltrane and lots with other people as well and in his own groups. And in this interview, he kind of is just laughing the whole time he's just so bright and just laughing the whole time and i just was like you know he the interviewer asked a question and he just responds with a big laugh and kind of just goes yeah you know like really doesn't answer the question but then you watch the the band playing in the you know the later concert and it's just phenomenal and i was curious about like improvising you know playing an instrument live maybe even if you've had a relationship with more jazz style musicians or players and this kind of laughing resonance or ability with the instrument in a live setting or anything like that like jazz musicians or people improvising more in that style of music but also having that kind of laughter connection or that
1: Yes, I know Lionel Hampton, Earl Gardner. These are some artists I recall laugh during the performance. Mm. Mm-hmm. And Ray Charles. I think it's a feel-good yes, soul right. feeling. I found out very early in life when doing improvisation on the piano, and someone would come over to me and ask me a linear question, and I like I start laughing. I, I couldn't switch. To- <laughs> 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 I to, and I just learned later what that was I was in a sort of a creative trance, channel trance, and mm-hmm. then when somebody came with what do you call it an earthbound question, it seemed what I'm, my mind had to do to to wrap my brain around it was so f- not ready for it I <laughs> <laughing>. <laughs> And I think I feel that's what some artists are they they might be focus on the next project or focus on And when they see somebody asking a question and they catch some of the question, and they might see it in a very hilarious perspective, them being here answering this question. and
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Seemingly, you've been really drawn to the zither over... Over your lifetime of playing music, as well as a few other instruments, what is there something that draws you to a certain instrument as a way of expressing
1: yourself? I like to be able to really interact with an instrument. I found that so with the auto harp is very easy. I remove chord bars, play with the tuning, mm-hmm. electrify it, and the sound that I was reaching for allowed me to like celebrate this interconnection that I feel has been revealed through me, not only through my art, but through my practice and through the grace of those who've gone before me and have shared wisdom, that uh, a language for expressing uh, the the depth and the breadth of the gift that I feel that life is. I can do it through the piano. I could probably do it through an oatmeal box. (laughs) But the idea, (laughs) the electric zither was revealed to me and sort of as if a guide, a very inner Auspicious guide actually, literally, almost pointed to the auto harp in the window of a pawn shop back in uh, mid 1970s as I was going to pawn my guitar, my Yamaha six-string steel guitar in a Martin's fiberglass case. I know it was worth 175 dollars, and the clerk mm-hmm. offered me 25 dollars. I said, "I need money. <laughs> I need money. Money now." <laughs> and this voice intervened, very clear. This don't take money. Swap your guitar for that instrument in the window. Uh, so it was a telepathic communion, so I didn't have to say auto harp. It's that I knew what it was. So it was, now that I'm telling a story, I'm hearing myself for the first time again. I've never mentioned that. Now I can see it. It was telepathic. And so I wanted to see what this kind of connection was was all about. So I went along with it and I, I did ask for $5 yeah. too. So, so I left with the for $5. I needed money. And so I went. <laughs> <laughs> money, money, money. Yep. And I had seen that instrument a couple of years before in the Greenwich Village, bluegrass ensembles. The years that I was presenting myself as a stand-up comedian in the village, some of those Places were uh, folk music places. So mm-hmm. now and then I'd see a bluegrass ensemble and that auto harp. And it looked like a very chunky instrument. Like, wow, that's interesting looking. Mm. And it sort of intrigued me. And so later on, the voice, the inner guide, the telepathic connects. says, yo, check out the zither. <laughs> <laughs> so I, ch- I checked it out. And uh, I immediately started tuning my favorite open tune tunings from the guitar hmm. into the auto Harp. So i had given up the guitar of six strings, and I inherited 36 strings that I can tune and really play with that plush pad sound. So that's why I stick mainly with it, because it's portable, meaning I can control the quality of the tone. I could take out into the Backwoods Cabin and do a concert with, uh, or a uh, private living room, small. Hmm. But it's Portable and it's very interactive from my point of view.
3: Right on. You did also some recordings with like synthesizers, drum machines, and uh, singing and like lyrics as well. Yeah, that's a very
1: goofy place to be. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Do you do any of the vocal work on your album?
3: No. (laughs) I think we all kind of experiment singing in our own respects, maybe making little songs at home, but we're mainly an instrumental group. And we do work with other vocalists, but someone who's coming with their voice as the instrument.
1: Yes. Have any of you ever belonged to a choir, a duop group? When I was a kid, I was
2: in uh, a choir. Yeah.
1: I thought that was you. <laughs> 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 yes. You ever tried duop?
2: No. You know what duop no. is? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big
1: fan. <laughs> yes. I grew up on the street corners. With that. Mm. I've been exposed to choir music, orchestral music, music from around the world. My teachers at Howard University gave me this, this a sensibility of relating to all the instruments, the choir, and to the fill the imagination with sound, with different timbres and different wavelengths. My early ambition was to write music for orchestra. Mm. And I got to thinking, Wow that's kind of awesome, man. You, you write it, and then you've got to get an orchestra to rehearse it and play it. We're talking Bucks or a Grant. And uh, then this other idea says, why don't you hit the synthesizer? <laughs>
2: <laughs> the fingertip orchestra. The
1: <laughs> synthesizer was my way of access to all the instruments, even if I wanted an oboe just for 30 seconds, and, uh, if I had to depend on live artists and musicians, I'd be having a tricky way to go about now.
2: I think a lot of people, including ourselves, listen to your music as a way of getting into or being receptive to like a meditative or a calmer state. So I was wondering if you have artists that you listen to for that purpose for yourself.
1: Steve Roach is one. Uh, Yasos is another. Uh... I would say Sylvia Nakash is another person. And uh, good, plush, serene orchestral music. Uh, orchestral classics do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sylvia Nakash, she's the main one.
3: I was uh, I was curious about the, uh, the color orange in your life. What orange? Orange
1: in your clothes or... <laughs> <laughs> well, it started out... As uh, curiosity, I thought it was curiosity. The years I was playing music on the sidewalks in New York, at lunchtime I would go to the Hare Krishna restaurant, all you can eat for $5. The street musicians would do that. And then I became curious about them wearing the color orange. And uh, I started experimenting with it without understanding why I was doing it until years later a spiritual mentor pointed out the connection that I was wearing this color because I had an inner initiation And that it's trying to surface, and it's the color of letting go of the old way of knowing self and sunrise on the new way of knowing self. Uh, It's a color of purification and transformation. And when he said that to me, I connected it with a 1974 sound initiation of hearing music in a trance that lifted my awareness into another dimension. And so that's why I began wearing the color orange without consciously knowing why until he told me and he gave me a full set of orange clothes and says, Here, you've been half, now it's time to be on the path all the way. So that was in 1985, that initiation to the idea of sun colors, clothing, and fire, sun, mm. sunrise, sunset, transformation.
3: Right on. Yeah, there's also an interesting, like, I guess, very different language with orange as a color of a safety color. It's, you know, worn for
1: visibility. Oh, yeah. How many times in the wood I have not gotten shot?
3: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I have a couple of jackets for when I'm on walks out in hunting season just to make sure I'm very visible. And they're just bright orange. But they also make me feel good because I love the color as well.
1: Supposedly, yes. I have a positive energy color. Mm. And I grew up liking stage lights, and I realized that I liked stage lights that had amber, that I was mm. drawn to amber, and yep. that frequency of color. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, amber is the most like pleasing lighting situation to have.
1: Yeah,
3: I agree. In the candle, like candlelight is amber light too, right?
2: Yeah, it's so natural.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Right on. Are you in a church, or is that your home? No, this is just my house here. Oh, that, that almost looks like a church. That the with the glass window
3: to your right. Yeah, no. The the previous owners of this home did a like a nice kind of little doily style inlay in the glass.
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's really nice. Yeah,
3: they were very crafty, and uh, yes, I'm appreciative of all the different textures. And even the room is like hand sponge painted. I guess it's like you know different tones and then you add like white as a texture to create this kind of almost cloud-like effect it's
1: it's i can see it
3: from here Mm -hmm. do you do painting or any type of other you know artistic or craft-based practice
1: funny you should use that term i think of the music at times as sound painting and Mm. so that takes me out of clear-cut lines, and I get more into, like, mushing sounds together, creating textures and suggestions of sounds. So I take a sound painting attitude. Mm. Also, it's interesting you brought that up, is because I've been offered an opportunity to sit with someone who is already into painting, and I said, if I could just be with you for a couple of times and show me how to get started. So that's... on the um, shelf an idea to get into painting Mm. i've wanted to to see where this orchestral energy of mine would go on a canvas Mm. do you do
3: not really no um maybe one more when i was a kid but yeah i would like to also experiment with it more i think as my my young baby grows older we will we will Definitely dabble into all the messy crafts of...
1: That's a multi-dimensional painting right there.
2: Yeah,
3: it's true. (laughs) Always mixing new colors and shades and, yeah, patterns and lines. So I feel very fortunate.
2: I hope we can uh, get together in person and play some music one day.
1: That'd be a trip. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Peace, tone, until now. Mm, Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, bad, bad, not good. Thank you,
3: Laraji.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the TalkHouse podcast, and thanks to Laraji and the members of Bad, Bad, Not Good for chatting. If you liked what you heard, please follow TalkHouse on your favorite podcasting platform. This episode was produced by Myron Kaplan, and the TalkHouse theme is composed and performed by The Range. See you next time.